Effective leadership is critical to any organization. So, how would you define effective leadership? And what qualities do the best leaders possess? In this episode, I speak to Deborah Colviello, founder of Illumination Partners and the Drop-In CEO Podcast, about work-life integration, the sport of curling, and the importance of finding purpose in our work. Really excited to see where we're all going to land at the end of this journey, uh, a place of more purposeful work, connecting with people. And again, I've always been an advocate. You start with the people and the purposeful work, what we do and the technical things that we achieve are actually more easy once we start from a place of purpose and with people. As the drop-in CEO, Deborah provides over 20 years of experience and strategy in quality and operational excellence roles. She uses that knowledge, in addition to her 15 years in the flavors and fragrance industry, to identify, assess, and solve the issues that are preventing your business growth. Deborah also understands that people are the heart of your organization. In order to deliver on her promise of offering you peace of mind, she focuses on utilizing the talents of your team and elevating them to new levels of performance, setting them up to better serve your organization. So, ready to discuss how to identify a great leader and how to become one ourselves? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Deb Coviello, thank you for joining me. Hey, Rebecca, I am excited to be on your podcast, and congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Thank you so much, and I would have to say likewise. Yeah, it was a fantastic conversation. I'm just uh, so excited we found each other. We're both starting our podcast uh, journeys, and uh, just a pleasure to have a great conversation with you. Could not agree more. So let's let the listeners in a little bit more about who you are. So Deb, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. So um, as you'll come to know me, I am the Drop-In CEO. The Drop-In CEO is a brand, but it's actually who I am. When I drop into organizations and practice my craft, I happen to be a quality and continuous improvement professional servicing the flavors, fragrance, and ingredient industry. But so much more than practicing my craft is when I go into organizations, I really uh, look around the landscape, not only technically what I need to bring to the table, but also the people that I'm going to help along the way. Because as consultants, as service providers, we can do anything to improve or fix an organization. But when we come out of those organizations, it's so important to be able to assure the people own the process, own the new current state, and they themselves can improve as people. And that's what I do now. But prior to owning my own company, Illumination Partners, I have had the great fortune of working for some very large flavor companies, Givadon Flavors as the head of quality, continuous improvement, international flavors and fragrance in various roles in quality. And I've been in many other industries, telecommunications, data communications all building my quality and continuous improvement craft. Um, happen to be a mom of three uh, wonderful kids, young adults, and uh, also happen to be an amateur curler. So I thought I would share that with you. So it's not all work. There's a little bit of play. There's a little bit of social and just uh, really enjoying my family. So again, thanks for letting me share my story with you and look forward to the rest of this conversation. Absolutely. Before we get into too, too much more, I have to ask you about the thing I just learned about you, which is you're a curler. Hey, yeah, I, uh, that's what makes me, uh, 
interesting uh, whenever people say, hey, tell us something we don't know about you. So I have been an amateur curler for a little over 10 years. I started out curling on uh, dedicated ice in New Jersey. Uh, friends of ours introduced us to it. And what was really interesting was it came at a point in time where my kids were teenagers or moving on to college. And it was a sport that, you know, you could just pick up at any age. You didn't have to be a tremendous athlete, but it was something about the sportsmanship, people helping others to learn the sport. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your kids. And um, as people might know, it's a, a game where you play on ice, where you throw stones and try to get to a particular target. Fast forward, I curl in Cincinnati on dedicated ice. And in 2017, I and my women's team, I was playing lead. That's the first person that throws the stones. We won a silver medal at Arena Nationals. So I have that medal. Very, very proud of it. And it's just a testament. It's a great, um, great sport. And also, you know, just knowing that you can play competitively is a great feeling. So thank you for asking. And if anybody else wants to know about curling, I'm happy to share. I've always loved to watch. It's one of my favorite sports to watch in the Winter Olympics. Because first of all, the first time you see curling, you're like drawn in by its kind of unusual nature. Um, but at the same time, there's such an interesting aspect of teamwork and camaraderie you feel out of the the teams working together that it's just really interesting and compelling. You know, you really bring up a great point, and I cannot agree with you more about that. When you think about the sport of curling, it's about bringing people together from different backgrounds and looking at the skills that they individually have and how can you leverage those skills to get the optimal result, mind you still enjoying yourself and, and enjoying the sportsmanship, but then achieving the goals you want to achieve. And the interesting thing I'll share with you is that I saw that connection with business. And when I created my business video about two months ago, we did video clips at the curling club with myself and teammates. And then we also then did video clips in a professional environment. And the parallels between the two, business into curling, curling into business, both the technical part of it, and then also just working with humans and trying to get really great results. So there's so much connection and uh, really appreciate your interest. I could talk on on and on about this. <laughs> yeah, but it was a great tie-in to kind of some of the conversations that we've had about the importance of people uh, when you think about, so obviously you do a lot of work with strategy. A lot of times people think about strategy in relation to business objectives and business goals and often tend to separate uh, the human aspect of what you need to achieve those goals from the people in your organization. So let's discuss that a little bit. How do you how do you help organizations understand the importance of the people executing the work when you're developing a strategy for your organization? You know, Rebecca, that's a really really great question, and I have seen that done quite poorly. And knowing that I've seen it done really poorly, that I really think there is a better way. And, and I talk about a very specific experience here. So if you think about companies that either are integrating companies together and you have to harmonize their ERP systems, their technology platforms, moving one organization to, onto uh, the existing platform is a, a very strategic decision. But how we pe people do it is very uh, tactical and based on the technology alone. And I have found that when you bring in um, a technical organization to integrate, um, they start with the technology first, then they go to the processes that we need to bring together into this new technology and platform. And then by the way, they allocate a little bit of time to training and then establishing lifelines when you go live. And then I've seen organizations 
come to their knees and fail miserably and impact customers because they can't ship product. And then you're getting sued for millions of dollars because you've disrupted the supply chain. And so that's an example of what is not to do right. And now having having said that, when I was involved in an integration, one of the first things I needed to do was I had to connect with the organization that was coming onto our system. So I immediately flew out, to, got to know the people, got to know their past and their culture, and what were they most proud of? Because those are the things they're bringing into forward into the new future state. And I needed to understand that. I needed to understand how they operate, who were the people they connected to, and who will they need to connect to in the future. Once I understood the people and built the trust, then we could start talking about, okay, who who are you going to interface with? Let's learn more about your processes, see how we can harmonize them with the new state. And then we talk technology. And when we finally got to the point of bringing them onto the new platform of the technology, yes, there will always be tech technical issues. But the fact that we trust each other, we knew who the players were, they knew who to reach out when they were having a problem, they knew they were respected. The impact in the area of the quality organization was minimal, and I'm very proud to talk about that. So I always advocate, start with the people, the past, their culture, their intellectual property, before you even start a discussion about process and then the technology. Right. And I love that you brought up the point about trust and the importance of trust in an organization. I think that's one of the things that people think about um, from a secondary nature. So obviously, we have certain people that we feel like we trust and build relationships with in organizations. Naturally, I think it's those folks that we align with in relation to our perspectives and our personalities and our values, right? How would you advise, um, let's say, leaders who have people in their organization that might come from a different background, have a different set of potential values or different things that they look at in life and be able to build those connections that are really meaningful to establish that that trust that you need to be successful as a team? Yeah. So that's um, another great question because I think I'm pretty good at reading people and finding that common point where if we do have a conflict, I can always get back to common ground and say, okay, we do agree we need to get through this issue. Yes. Okay. Let's just find a way to get through it. And I will tell you, I actually had challenges with one particular leader that I had to work with in my previous organization. I was very adamant about a particular quality problem that needed their involvement and they didn't think they needed to be involved that I should just take care of it alone. And it took some time. It was a tremendous point where I couldn't sleep at night. Why doesn't this leader understand me? But, you know, I went to their office and I said, I just need to talk to you about this. I said, I see this problem having this sense of urgency. And I see that you don't see that it has this sense of urgency. And I won't go over the details, but at the end of the day, they were able to explain their culture their position, and why is it that they did not see it as big of an issue as I saw it? And while I didn't agree with them, I at least then felt there was at least some trust back in the relationship. I understood their perspective. I may not be able to change their behavior, but at least I could understand it and maybe work with it to then get the end result. So again, just pausing and just really, really working hard to get to know the person, their perspective, and why do they see something a certain way? Only then can you move forward as best you can. Yeah, I think that's such an important topic. I mean, some of this kind of ventures into the areas of diversity and inclusion, right? And why it's so critically important that we try to understand one another a little bit better. Yeah, you know, I'd love to jump on that again as well, because I also mentor a human. I mentor several humans that I care deeply about. 
and I see such great talent around me. And there's this one particular situation with somebody I'm mentoring where time and time again, they, they know what they want to do, but they're afraid to confront or have conflict. And we've been in this place over and over again. And hey, I don't like conflict either. I would avoid it, but I've learned to get through it. And this person, I actually had to ask them, is there anything in your family upbringing? Is there a family member that avoids conflict? Help me to understand that so I can understand why you're hesitant to have this difficult conversation. And they finally came back and said, yep, there is a family member that just likes to let things go, avoid the conflict. And with that conversation, I said, okay, now I understand why you're hesitant. So let's talk about what you are comfortable with. So again, there's so many stories. It's it's so hard. Actually, most people are so quick to judge an email, what they see at face value, and you're only getting part of the story. So please, please, if you are not agreeing with somebody, if you have differences, I'm asking you, please pause find a way to connect with that person in a different way and really ask for the rest of the story. You will really, really come to a better result. It is so critically important because we as people, of course, will naturally fall back to what, you know our assumptions based on our experience and things that we think we're seeing or perceive we're seeing, but there's always more to the story that we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And at the end of the day, um, coming back to one of your earlier questions is always finding the common ground. It could always be rooted in our values or in family or what are the goals of the organization. In my case, I try to protect my consumers' brands and also building products that they can trust because I ship safe things. Whenever you go to a place of high-level strategic vision and mission, it sometimes um, short circuits any of the conflict that you're having, get people to pause. You're right. That's really why we're here. (laughs) Forget about the fact that you're not meeting my objectives. You're not getting your action items done. At the end of the day, we just have to pause and say, hey, why are we all here? And uh, that's a really good technique to level the playing field and be able to move forward. Yeah. One of the things that just kind of entered my mind when you think about strategic challenges, of course, we're living in this rapidly changing world, maybe now more than ever. But when you think about it in relation to technology, I think a lot of leaders can be easily distracted by trends in the market, especially technical trends in the market. Here's a flashy new tool or a flashy new technology that's coming to the market. A lot of our competitors might be using it. We need to do everything that we can to build a strategy around this next shiny object. How do you advise organizations to kind of address that, I guess, shiny object syndrome? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I always stop and think, well, what is the benefit that you're going to gain from that that shiny object? Sometimes you think you're going to be better, faster, cheaper, but behind any of that technology or that process is a human. There's a human interface with that particular piece of technology. And unless the people trust each other, unless the people, and, and from my world, I talk about process, you have inputs, you have the process, and then you have the outputs. And there's people in those handoffs. And if the people are already not communicating with each other, if they don't understand the reason why they uh, emailed that report to the other person, and the other person just deletes the email every day, unless you understand those handoffs between people, and you have a team that trusts and depends on each other, if there's distrust, if there's dysfunction, if you have inefficient processes, you put a piece of technology on top of it, you're just going to make the situation worse. And the reason why I say that is because I also love working with small and medium-sized companies that don't have those shiny objects. And here's a case in point. I'm actually working with a very small flavor company um, in Singapore. And in my world, in food safety, some of the things that you have to do are having uh, like monthly food safety meetings or you know daily walkthroughs the factory just to make sure that everything is still safe, good, you know, 
good manufacturing practices. And I said, how do you then cascade new requirements if a customer has an issue? You know, what's your process? Because I don't see anything documented. And he says, well, we talk to each other. And, and I rolled my eyes a little. So we just talk to each other. And I mean, that's an organization that really understands it's about people, it's about communication, and just being connected day in and day out. And if you don't have that, don't put on this shiny object. If you do, and this client of mine is putting in an ERP system right now, it's only to make his operations more efficient. But he can do that because he's got the right foundation based on people and their interactions and trust. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really interesting to kind of weave into that around people, new technology, and potentially new strategic directions, the traps that many organizations fall into when they change direction and don't bring their people along on that journey with them. So don't make them a part of the decision or don't inform them along the way on the changes that are upcoming. And then potentially the resulting fear or even, I kind of almost jokingly say mutiny. <laughs> so folks in the organization that don't come on board uh, with these types of changes in direction simply because they had not been involved in that change. Yeah, you know, um, I've made that mistake. <laughs> we learned from our mistakes. We've talked about that. And I've made that same mistake where you know, I had to uh, implement a cost savings project within a flavors manufacturing environment. And part of it, we had to go out on the manufacturing floor and start uh, turning some knobs and trying to optimize it in order to save money. And the engineers would go out to the floor. I was the project manager. They would make the adjustments. Then the next day we'd hear, oh, those operators turned the knobs back to the a previous adjustment or, or location and we didn't get the test data. And we're like rolling our eyes. I'm the project lead. And then I said, oh my goodness. I forgot to bring in the people into the conversation from the production floor to explain what is it that we were changing, why we were changing it. And I said, oh, Mike, I have to go back. And so as soon as we brought the people back into the conversation to explain why we were making this initiative, we weren't going to hurt their jobs. We w needed their advice on what would and wouldn't work. As soon as we got that conversation going, we got the project right on track. But I made the mistake, even though I'm a seasoned professional, of not involving the people with a new process, a cost savings, or a shiny penny. Uh, just don't do it. Don't learn from my mistake. <laughs> um, and I think one of the important things out of that is that you, leaders make mistakes too. You learn to learn from your mistakes and the importance of learning from those mistakes to, to do better next time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even on my journey now, I mean, I can talk about all the mistakes I made in the past, but I'm still making mistakes. But, you know, I like to think of it from a positive perspective. You know, when I started on my journey, it was like the wild, wild west. I'm networking with everybody. I'm following up with people. And at the end of the day, I, I look back and say, you know, I was probably spending too much time connecting with the wrong people. And I needed to be a little bit more uh, focused on who should I be connecting with as it comes to business development. But I don't like to think of them as failures. I mean, we were experimenting. We were courageous. So anybody that says, oh, I'm, you know, I made a mistake. I'll never do that again. I'm not going to take risks. Um, I'd like you to rethink that because taking risks means you're brave and only the brave will find new lands and find out what is the better path. So definitely, definitely don't worry about making mistakes. Just go out there and try something. Right. I tell you what, if I was worried about making mistakes, I never would have started a podcast. You know, we could go there too. I mean, I um, yeah. almost didn't make my podcast happen until somebody says, what's holding you back, Deb? And I said, it's me. Yeah. I, I, I can't get myself to push the button. We talked about that. And um, just don't be afraid. You'll probably do fantastic. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that we need more voices in the conversation and more people to step up and talk about their perspectives and talk about what's important to them, because that really just makes the conversation richer about the current state, but also about the future. 
No, totally agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the future. What are some of the things that you're optimistic about the future? You know, I consume a lot of podcasts uh, while walking the dog, and I have a lot of time to think. And then, of course, I write all kinds of things on social media because I'm thinking and I got to get it out there. But one of the things, um, it's either the company that I'm keeping with, the actual people or the podcast, but I find there's something absolutely amazing. And maybe it's in myself, but now I'm seeing it in the world. So many of us of our generation have our nine to five job, try to get up to that five, six, whatever figure salary and say we're successful. And at the end of the day, we might say, okay, we did it, but are we still happy? And I know that's one of your mantras as well. But what I am finding in the world is there are so many people at this moment in time over the past year pausing and saying, there's got to be something better for me. Uh, not to fault what I've been doing in the past. It's setting me up for what I'm meant to do going forward. But there is this tremendous awareness in the world, almost to the point where, you know, our millennial teenage kids, young adults, et cetera, are optimistic. They're willing to take chances. They want to bounce around a little bit. They want to see the world. They're less materialistic. They're seeking purpose before the dollar. And the funny thing is there's so many of us thinking about greater purpose than the tangible assets. And um, I just am feeling really optimistic and really excited to see where we're all going to land at the end of this journey, uh, a place of more purposeful work, connecting with people. And again, I've always been an advocate. You start with the people and the purposeful work, what we do and the technical things that we achieve are actually more easy once we start from a place of purpose and with people. Yeah, it's, those are the people that change the world, right? Yeah, you know, my children, I'll say that to them as well. Um, you know, all we can do as parents, and again, I know you've got children, I've got children, is that um, I just want my kids to be productive citizens. And hopefully the mistakes we've made or hopefully all the right things that we've done, setting the right foundation, just, just be productive citizens in a way that leaves their mark maybe even more than my, my own. I, I really believe the mark in the world that is going to be made is by my children. And so again, that's why I'm optimistic. I just I am seeing this next generation being extremely optimistic, purposeful, and really want to change the world. So I just, I'm in a great place and feel really good about it. Awesome. Well, I definitely don't want to change that positive mood that you just brought by asking you the next question. Go for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. What makes you concerned about the future? Um, yeah, there's a, a lot of unknowns right now. I mean, on an individual level, I just want to make sure people still communicate. Uh, I am certainly concerned when people judge interactions via a text, via a tweet, via email. And, you know, people get all riled up because we simply don't understand each other. And then we send out communications and it causes a lot of negative energy and disruption in the world. I'm just hoping through this tough time that we're going through the virus, that through the use of social media and video conferencing, we're getting a better connection with people. Um, I even find it in my children right now. They're doing so much more video conferencing now, uh, FaceTime, uh, WhatsApp, all that stuff versus texting each other. I'm very concerned about misunderstanding and communication and people just... Um, bad things happening in the world. I mean, there's just so much uh, with this pandemic. And, and even my son talks about, you know, potential power grabs that may be happening as economies collapse, new leaders move into place. Um, it's scary not knowing. The only thing we can be as sure of is what we can control in our own world and with our family. And 
you know, having a pandemic like this happening, it's very disconcerting to know what we can't control. So that that scares me a little bit. But all I can do is just keep a stable family life, practice what uh, I do with people and humans, and hopefully we can get through this all together. Yeah, it's a beautiful thought. So I started thinking a little bit too about uh, being a parent along our business journey. And, you know, some people will say work-life balance or there's other, there's other terms as well. Um, I try not to use those terms too much. Um, instead, think about like the integration of our life and our work and how it can be challenging. And one of the things that I hear a lot from younger people in particular is the need to to work very hard, put in lots of hours to gain some level of success. And I wonder what you would think about that. Because I think when we were younger, probably we felt a lot of the same thing where we had to work really hard, improve ourselves. And that was going to lead us to um, this vision that we had of success that was mostly probably defined uh, by society or by the organizations in which we worked. But what are you kind of reflecting back now, kind of where you're at in your career journey today and where you might have been um, when your kids were younger? And kind of trying to figure out how your work and li- life interact with one another. Um, what do you? What would you say about that? Or what kind of advice would you give um, maybe younger generations that are trying to sort that out today? I'm not sure what advice I can give the younger generation because I probably made some mistakes along the way. I had the good fortune again um, having a career, having a very good career, career female engineer, a very supportive spouse. Um, an infrastructure to help also raise three kids while balancing two careers and trying to go to every Cub Scout meeting and volunteer and everything like that. We try to do it all and we pride ourselves and pat ourselves on the back because we're super moms, super dads, et cetera. And that's okay because our children saw us. But fast forward when I had a meeting with um, a friend of mine, we were having lunch and I said, you know, when you see me show up in the world, and this was when I was going on my journey and discussion, uh, discovery, I said, what do you see when you see me come into the room? And I said, you know, you're a great mom, you're very busy. I said, but you're not very present. And when she said, you're not very present, it made me pause and say, you know, I haven't taken enough time to simply breathe, (laughs) smell the flowers, and make deeper connections with people. And I have been working like heck to try to move to a place of it's really about the people and the connections, and your world will be full around that. But if I had to give some advice back, yes, absolutely work hard. You have to make your mark on society and and get those things that one, make your heart and your head feel good. I, I really would emphasize that because yes, I did some great work. I had great companies, great bosses, but I'm now doing that truly rewarding work. And I'm doing it differently. Working a lot of hours in a corporate nine to five may get you some level of success, but it may not bring you joy. But now I work a lot of hours, but I'm also working much more intentionally around very specific things aligned to my values and aligned to my business. And so I may put in the hours, but I'm exceptionally disciplined about the hours that I work and the hours that I don't work. Yes, there are a lot of hours. It's Saturday. I'm working with you right now because I really care about you, your podcast, and this conversation. But I will say, make sure that you get as efficient as as you can. Decide what's important and urgent and what's not so important and not so urgent because you can't do everything and you shouldn't do everything. And that's my thoughts. Right. When I talk about similar topics, I usually use the analogy of kind of like your, your energy bank account. 
right? What the energy you put into things, um, you should get equal energy back or potentially more energy back. So the more you invest in things that are purposeful and meaningful to you, the more that investment will pay off. You know, when people would see me in public, and I, I this was up until I got out of this my corporate job, and again, I, I loved it. I had the great fortune of being the head of quality for a flavors company, but I didn't smile. I didn't smile a lot, and everybody would say, "What's wrong? Are you tired? What's wrong?" Because it looks like the world would be showing on my face, and you know what? It probably was, and that was my outward way of showing stress and how I felt. And while I was trying to keep it all afloat something had to give and it was in my face. And ultimately, I just wasn't sleeping, etc. Now, again, having to work at it, I do smile a lot more, but I truly believe it is coming from a place of joy, because I feel good. And to your point about the energy, um, I'm still not getting a lot of sleep, but the work that I'm doing energizes me and I get energy from it. So work hard, work on the right things that give you joy, the energy will come and you'll be able to pour the energy not only into work, but also to your family. I think my family's happier now. <laughs> the dog's happier. He gets a few more walks because I'm home and I'm, I'm doing the work I love. And I think just generally the whole family dynamics is a lot healthier and happier. Yeah. It's the airplane analogy of put your own oxygen mask on before you help others. You know, you're so right. <laughs> If you don't, I, I tell this to my people that I'm mentoring, unless you do the hard work on yourself, um, how can you coach others? And I had to reflect a lot about who I was, what did I want to do? What, what did I really love? I need my sleep. I need to write. I need to create content. It gives me joy. And unless I do that first thing in the morning, I really can't take care of the rest of the family. And my family will see it. If I didn't get a good night's sleep, if I immediately went right into my work, I'm not the same person. So when I take care of myself, yes, one might say it's a little bit selfish, but I'm a lot happier and everybody around me is a lot happier. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And I'll say that I've had my kids actually approach me. Um, they can tell I'm really bad at hiding when I'm stressed or when I'm upset or whatever. I'm just not good at it. Um, but, you know, their awareness in that situation and being able to come to me and, and express that, you know, and say, I recognize that um, what you're doing right now may not be great, or you might be going through something. But um, the fact that they can bring that up to me and make me more self-aware of how it's imp how I'm impacting them and the people around me, it's a really important learning. But it also speaks to the meaning of, you know, like you said, it, you could feel selfish sometimes. And I think, um, just to be frank, I think sometimes women in particular uh, feel like it's selfish to take care of themselves or they feel that need to be caretaker um, and sometimes put uh, their own needs aside for the needs of other people. But the reality is, if we take care of our own needs, we can do a better job of helping the people around us. You know, you just brought up a real interesting thing, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but again, this is the work that you and I do with the people, is that you just made a comment about your children being aware and empathetic to you, mm -hmm. their parent, in what is happening. And you, obviously, maybe they had that skill innately, but they also saw it in you, most likely, of showing empathy. And so, you know, I'm sure you, with also your clients, teaching people to find empathy, understand others, because mm. you don't want to be quick to judge. Yes. Knowing yourself is important, but being empathetic to others, you have a much more deeper understanding conversation and exchange. So yeah, empathy is like one of the best tools I have now. <laughs> it's, it's critical. It's important. It's, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, in the past, we might have called it a soft skill, I call it essential skill. Um, yeah. And you know, that that's, <laughs> That's another point, and, and I'll talk a little bit about this. I'm in the middle of just starting another journey in creating course content that's really around mentoring because um, 
praises to people in their career. They get their additional degrees or certifications to build their craft. But so often we really don't coach people in parallel, all of those soft skills. And I've seen so many young professionals that hit a wall, they can't move up because then they identify their leadership. You're missing these soft skills. And then sometimes these professionals are promoted too soon. And then there's a gap in their performance. So why don't we teach the soft skills in parallel with the hard skills? I mean, I ask you that, and then we try to teach it a little bit in the university. You're onboarded into a job, but quite often as leaders, we just don't, and maybe even myself early on, don't coach that behavior. We don't know how to. And I think that's something that corporations really need to think about is, to your point, start coaching the um, essential skills first. Yeah, that, that's the thing that makes it's a, it. Those are the game changers, right? Those skills that lead for us to be able to not even just empathize for those people around us and understand those people around us, but also build stronger connections and build trust. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you one more question that um, I have not asked before. For some reason, it just popped in my head and I would just love your insight on it. How would you define a good leader? How would I define a good leader? You know, I've had the good fortune through my podcast. I'm finding a few of them. Mm. I've had a lot of good managers. I've had a few people with insight. The ones that, and then again, I'm going to a place to reflect on the different leaders, and I really appreciate this conversation. But I think the best leaders are the ones that have left me with a piece of wisdom that I internalized and made my own. I think it's those pieces of wisdom that they impart on you and leave that lasting impression are probably the best leaders that I've ever come to know. There's one particular leader, he actually never um, was my manager at a co an electronics company. And he asked me a very bold question. They said, what intimidates you? And I said, what? I said, what intimidates you? And I kind of fumbled around for the answer. And they said, nobody can intimidate you. Only you can allow other people to intimidate yourself. Mm. And I was a tremendous piece of wisdom. Uh, another person once said to me, I, they were getting ready to retire. And I said to them, I said, what can I do differently to improve my profession? I really like to know because before you retire. And he said, and I said, what can I change about myself? He said, change nothing, just be yourself. And I was like, wow. You know, and it took me about another five years to finally realize just be myself, stop putting on the mask of what everybody else uh, expects. And so I think at the end of the day, those leaders that can just impart that one piece of wisdom are the ones that leave a lasting legacy on how they made you feel. And those are probably the best leaders I've come across. Right. I, I love that you said that. I start to think about people that I've known or leaders that I've worked with that have those qualities that promote an environment of psychological safety and appreciate their people from where, for where they are. And there's so much value in that. Yeah. And, and if I could just say a few things, um, there's a couple people that came into my life in this journey in the last 15 months or so that I brought onto my podcast. And they were just the most kindest people. I mean, I'll follow them anywhere, even though I've just gotten to know them. And one of them said to me, right out of the gate, he started mentoring me. I said, you know, I really appreciate this conversation. I kind of came to you really in the beginning just to network and find other people in the industry. And he said, my greatest pleasure is just to see you succeed, mm -hmm. just to see you succeed. And it was like, oh my, <laughs> I need more people like that in my life. Those are truly the inspirational leaders, not just a person that can fill the room with amazing energy and just have the, the tagline of the company and speak the vision. I used to think those were the people I wanted to be like. And yes, they're dynamic people and they are amazingly successful. 
But the ones that are coming on to my podcast are the ones that have those nuggets of wisdom that inspire me and hopefully inspire others and leave you with a lasting impression. You may forget exactly what they said, but that impression, that nugget that stays with you, those are the best leaders. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. That's a beautiful thought. And I encourage folks to go listen to Deb's podcast, The Drop-In CEO, listen to some of those amazing conversations that she's having with these impactful leaders. And then also, if you're dealing with strategic problems in your organization, we've talked through today, the importance of thinking about people when you're putting together your strategy. So Deb Caviello, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Rebecca, it's been a pleasure. It was so much fun and continued success on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Deborah brings deep introspection and years of experience together in order to help organizations lead their employees to successful outcomes. She realizes and teaches that people are the heart of any organization and are the key to their success. Beyond identifying great leadership in others, Deborah also recognizes the importance of meaningful, purposeful work, reflecting on her own journey, and taking care of ourselves so that we can better serve others. This is the primary point that I carry from this conversation as my personal journey collides with this often. However, this is a critical part of our journey, looking in the mirror, challenging ourselves to identify the things we need to improve, while embracing mistakes as powerful learning opportunities. It is then that we can do better looking forward, helping those around us, and developing more impactful leadership skills. As Deborah mentions, the best leaders are those that make a lasting impression on our lives the ones that provide us lessons that we can carry forward and share with others as we pursue purposeful work that provides us energy. I wish that for all of you and challenge you to leverage your inner leader to make a difference in this world. So go on, go help shape the future. If you enjoyed this conversation, check out the conversation I had with Deborah on her podcast, The Drop-In CEO on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about the amazing work that Deborah does, check out her website at dropinceo.com. That's dropinceo.com. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.